Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for visiting us, indeed for being here always with us. Lord, now indwell our hearts as we listen to your word, as we worship together. Speak to us afresh, for we would love you and serve you always. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Let's go right to our scripture lesson this morning, reading first of all from the Gospel of John, just one verse, the words of Jesus, who says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then going to the, uh, turning to the letter to the Colossians, words written by the Apostle Paul. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And then finally, these words, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude, does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Amen. A survey was taken of couples nationwide in which they were asked, what makes a good marriage? And 90% of the respondents said, being in love. When asked, however, to list the essential ingredients of love as a basis for marriage, a survey of more than 1,000 college students revealed that, quote, no one characteristic was, was given by more than 50% of the respondents. In other words, we all know that love is central to a, a great marriage, but we're not exactly sure what love means. We don't know what it is. As one person in the survey said, love is like lightning. You may not know what it is, but you do know when it hits you. John Lennon said, all you need is love. But what did he mean by that? Love is not easy to pin down. I think it's tragic, actually, that the English language contains only one word, love, and this word has become so inane. People use it to describe their cravings for hamburgers and their worship of movie stars, their sentimental romantic notions, and their lust for sexual gratification. What is love? Well, when it comes to personal relationships, and to marriage in particular, love is probably most often thought to be a feeling, a wonderful feeling at that. And you know how it goes, boy meets girl, the attraction is electric, you fall hopelessly, desperately in love, it just happens to you like lightning, the feeling is euphoric, the ecstasy is thrilling, 
The romance begins. You can't eat. You know, you can't get that person out of your mind. You're infatuated with the other person. And you picture yourself just kind of walking hand in hand with the love of your life, walking into the sunset, living happily ever after. And it's this concept of love as feeling that is idealized, or is it idolized, by Hollywood and by popular music and romantic novels. It would seem that in this culture, romantic love is everything. It's the veritable key to all happiness. Many people search their entire lives for such romance. And if the right person should come along and they should find true romance, there's an assumption that they will go on being in love forever. Now, we all love the feeling of being in love. Romance is wonderful. and who, cannot, who can deny that? But the trouble is, the feeling just doesn't last. And therefore, it cannot serve as the basis for marriage. Feelings are fickle. They come and they go. And too often, partners in a marriage assume that because the romantic feelings just aren't there anymore, that somehow they don't love each other anymore. They assume the relationship is over. In some cases, they may feel entitled to leave the relationship and go find another partner who can bring back those same kinds of feelings. And then when they go and they find that person, they're dismayed to discover that the romance and the glamour and the passion fades yet again. And the thing is, Real life always intrudes. We cannot live forever on the mountaintop of these wonderful romantic feelings. You know, it's not long before you realize that the person you married isn't perfect after all. I mean, that person has flaws. That person has imperfections. Why are you looking at me that way, Valin? They may even have some habits that drive you absolutely crazy. You know, like your partner does not squeeze the tube of toothpaste the where you, at the bottom. Leaves the top of the toothpaste tube off all the time, so it's real dry. You know, don't you hate that? You can't get the toothpaste on your toothbrush. And you know, the guy never puts down the toilet lid. Turns out that your partner is a sinner just like you. Marriage, married love is beautiful, but it isn't always the stuff of angels. As one writer put it, it's that of sweating bodies, disheveled sheets, unruly hair, bad breath, scraggly beards, dirty diapers, and outside the door clamoring little ones hollering for their breakfast. And given that dose of reality, it's pretty hard to keep the romance always aflame. Romantic feelings, attraction, initiates a relationship, but it doesn't sustain one. And romantic love, while hopefully is constantly rekindled during a marriage, I mean, that would be wonderful, but inevitably it gives way to a quieter, but stronger, but deeper kind of love. A love based not on feeling, but on action. 
a decision of the will. Now let's listen to C.S. Lewis. I'll throw a quote up on the, on the screen, and it's, it's a short passage. Uh, and C.S. Lewis can be kind of dense, but track with me here. It's just short. He says, being in love is a good thing, but it's not the best thing. You cannot make it the basis of a whole life. It is a noble feeling, but it's still a feeling. Knowledge can last, principles can last, habits can last, but feelings come and go. But of course, ceasing to be in love need not mean ceasing to love. Love in the second sense, love as distinct from being in love, is not merely a feeling. It is a deep unity maintained by the will and deliberately strengthened by habit, reinforced by, in Christian marriage, the grace which both partners ask and receive from God. Being in love first moved them to promise fidelity. This quieter love enables them to keep the promise. It's on this love that the engine of marriage is run. Being in love was the explosion that started it. So it is this quieter, deeper kind of love based not on feelings, but anchored in their promise to be there for each other that is shared by Tevia and his wife Golda in Fiddler in the Roof. Fiddler on the Roof. Theirs was an arranged marriage. If you recall the musical, the movie, theirs was an arranged marriage. Feelings didn't even enter it, actually, at the beginning. But their love for each other was deeper than they, than they knew. So just for fun. Golda is a good man. I like him. He's a little crazy, but I like him. And uh, what's more important, Hoddle likes him. Hoddle loves him. So what can we do? It's a new world, Gonda. A new world. Love. Golden, do you love me? Do I what? Do you love me? Do I love you? Well? With our daughters getting married and this trouble in the town, you're upset, you're worn out. Go inside, go lie down. Maybe it's indigestion. Uh, no, Golda, I'm asking you a question. Do you love me? You're a fool. I know. But do you love me? Do I love you? Well... For 25 years I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked your cow. After 25 years, why talk about love right now? Golden, the first time I met you, 
was on our wedding day. I was scared. I was shy. I was nervous. So was I. But my father and my mother said we'd learn to love each other. And now I'm asking, Golda, do you love me? I'm your wife. I know. But do you love me? Do I love him? Well? For 25 years I've lived with him, fought with him, starved with him. 25 years my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? Then you love me. I suppose I do. Then I suppose I love you too. It doesn't change a thing, but even so, after 25 years, it's nice to know. So who can doubt their love? Love is something you learn. It's something that you do. It's about what you've been through together. It's your shared history. Feelings are important too, of course, and I don't mean to minimize them. But when love is merely a feeling, the focus is inevitably on you, on how the other person makes you feel. All you know is that the other person makes you happy, or at least ought to make you happy. Love as romantic feeling is, when you think about it, fundamentally self-centered. But love as action, love as an act of the will, as something you do for another over the course of time, 25 years even, is something very different. It is outgoing and self-giving. It is focused on the well-being and the personal growth of another. And the New Testament has a word for this kind of love. You've probably heard it before. It's called agape, agape love. It's the kind of love that God has for us. It's given freely and wisely and undeservedly and unconditionally without expectation of getting anything in return. In our gospel lesson from John, after Jesus illustrated love and action by washing the feet of the disciples, he commands his followers to love one another as I have loved you. So that we who follow Jesus are to imitate his love with all its focus on caring concern and thoughtful and purposeful action and high regard for every human being. And this kind of love needs to be practiced in all of our relationships, but especially in that most intimate relationship of all, that relationship that we have with our spouse. It's not romantic love based on feelings, but agape love based on action that must be the ground of a great marriage. Oftentimes, great wisdom comes out of the mouth of babes. 
group of professionals posed this question to a group of four to eight-year-olds. The question was, what does love mean? And these are the responses they received. Love is when you go out to eat and you give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. Chrissy, age six. Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. Danny, age seven. Love is when you kiss all the time. Then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together and you talk more. My mommy and daddy are like that. They look gross when they kiss. That's Emily, age eight. Now listen to this. This is actually quite profound. Love, it's what's, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Bobby, age seven. Love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. Tommy, age six. Love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Elaine, age five. Love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he's handsomer than Tom Cruise. Chris, age seven. And Rebecca, age eight, says, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. These kids are not far from describing the kind of love that if practiced can make a huge difference in a marriage. It's the kind of love described by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 and his letter to the Colossians. Both of these classic love passages in the Bible read at so many weddings really help to define and round out what agape love is all about. It has to do with practicing certain virtues. And the Apostle Paul challenges us to agape others by exhibiting compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with each other, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. Each of these virtues really deserves a sermon on its own because they are crucial ingredients for a great marriage. In the most famous love chapter ever written, the Apostle Paul eloquently describes agape love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. You know, I, I've read those words so often. Uh, I read them in how many weddings, and uh, I guess because of their very familiarity, I tend to kind of gloss over that, but I find that a contemporary version of this same passage speaks to me afresh. So here's the same passage in a different uh, 
more contemporary word. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. And the thing about all of these characteristics, all of these virtues, what they have in common is that they always involve the giving of self. Love is not self-seeking. It isn't always me first. It's about serving your spouse. Now, that's very easy to say. You just serve your partner. But it takes a lot of work. Face it, marriage is a lot of hard work. It really is. The Apostle Paul says that we are to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and so on, so that every day when we get up in the morning, we are to clothe ourselves, we are to put on these virtues, we are to consciously and conscientiously put them on, like putting on a new suit for work, and then we are to take them throughout our day. Well, that's easier said than done. It isn't easy communicating with your spouse when you really don't feel like communicating. It's not easy giving up a grudge for something that your partner did to you when they haven't said they're sorry for it. It's not easy working through conflict and uh, through some of the baggage that your partner has brought into the marriage. It's not easy saying you're sorry when you know you hurt your spouse because it kind of like wounds your ego. It's not easy. But when two sinners get together, and that's what uh, people are in a marriage, you know. They're sinners who need God's grace. But when two sinners get together, there is bound to be trouble and conflict. And that's why marriage always involves a lot of pain, a lot of struggle, a lot of hard work. Man, I would wonder about people who have a marriage where it's just easy all the time. <laughs> and, and, and that's why, in addition to putting in hard work to make your relationship go, you also have to call upon the Holy Spirit who can change your heart so that the Spirit will make you less self-centered as we naturally are and more focused on the other. It's something we have to do. We put on these, we clothe ourselves with these virtues every day and then we ask for God's grace and we say, Lord, help me to live out this kind of life, this kind of love. Marriage expert Gary Chapman 
says, love is a choice you make every day. Notice he doesn't say love is a feeling. Love is a choice. Every day we have to put on, clothe ourselves with the virtues of outgoing, self-giving, agape love. And in serving one another, we help one another become the people God meant for us to be. But I need to make one last point, and that is true love, agape love, not only takes work, but it doesn't fall down on the job. It hangs in there with the other person even when it isn't always returned. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So that at the heart of marriage is a commitment, a promise, a solemn vow to be with the other person through thick and thin no matter what. In plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. Dr. Les Parrott, who is a professor of clinical psychology at Seattle Pacific University and a popular speaker and writer on marriage, says this about commitment as the basis for a great marriage, or any marriage. He says, I can't emphasize enough the importance of commitment in sustaining lifelong love. Three doctors who studied 6,000 marriages and 3,000 divorces concluded, quote, there may be nothing more important in a marriage than a determination that it shall persist. With such a determination, individuals force themselves to adjust and to accept situations which would seem sufficient grounds for a breakup if, if continuation of the marriage were not the prime objective. Commitment, says Parrott, commitment is the mortar that holds the stones of marriage in place. So that when passion burns low, and when the storms of life come blowing in as they inevitably will, it is your mutual promise that holds the two of you together, creating an island of safety and security, enabling you to continue to work on your relationship. Commitment says, I love you because you are you, not because of what you do or how you feel. Love bears all things, believes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love involves a lot of work. And it never falls down on the job. It hangs in there when the going gets tough. So what makes for a great marriage? In a word, love. That is the kind of love displayed by Jesus for you and me and described so eloquently by the Apostle Paul. A healthy, thriving marriage is grounded in agape love where both husband and wife are devoted to one another's well-being and are serving each other. So may God give us grace and the power to practice this kind of love over the long haul that we may experience the fullness of his blessing. To God be the glory. Amen.